0: Four turtles. Four brothers. Genetically reborn in the sewers of New York. Named after the great Renaissance masters. And trained as ninjas. Welcome to Now Playing's Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles retrospective series. Do, do, do that! Major League butt kicking is back in town! Starring our podcast hosts on the half shell, Jacob. He's lower than scum. He gives scum a bad name. Of course he does. That's why I hired him. That's Arnie. A nine-year-old trapped in a man's body. And Stuart. I'm being punished, are Join us at nowplayingpodcast.com each week for a new Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles review. I guess it's time for a little uh, cultural exchange, if you this podcast will contain detailed plot spoilers and mild language. Righteous! Fossa Nova! Chevy Nova? Listener discretion is advised. It is time to seek our answers. And remember Go, Ninja! Go, Ninja! Go! <laughs> ninja! ninja.
1: Today we're discussing Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, starring Judith Hogue, Elias Codius, Josh Pace, Robbie Rist, Corey Feldman, directed by Steve Barron. This is Arnie, the podcast host that's here for a shell of a good time. Oh, God.
2: Oh, Stuart in LA, somehow I'm on the show.
3: (laughs) And this is your host in a half shell, Jacob.
1: Yes, Stuart, you say somehow you're on this show, but now that we're a little bit into Mutant Ninja Turtles, I've rewatched the films. I, as the fan, have been doing my research. Is there any retrospective more now playing? I mean, we've got Ninjas, Vanilla Ice... Time Travel, (laughs) Sam Rockwell, an animated feature film, Corey Feldman, Comic Book Origins, Michael Bay, Ernie Reyes Jr., Hammer, anthropomorphized animals, David Warner, all ending in a theatrical reboot. How does this not scream now playing?
2: (laughs) Oh, it screams, all right. It screams at night, alone, a dying yelp. You know, Arnie, you were the one on the 2001 podcast... That asked the question, why we must cover well-documented cinema classics like Casablanca and Citizen Kane, that we would have nothing new to contribute, that our arguments would be moot. I'm going to turn that on its head to you today, Arnie. Is it not also equally redundant to cover films that are clearly not meant for us, the 40-year-old childless men that we are?
3: Yes, but you forget two of us are big toy collectors. That is the downfall of your argument, Stuart. Okay. And comic readers.
1: And I (laughs) dare say that the movie we're going to be discussing this evening is aimed at literally all audiences, maybe even more at us than at the pizza-eating, Nickelodeon-watching cartoon kids of 1990.
2: Now, I was alive and not considered an adult when this came out. I remember (laughs) the Turtles phenomenon. I even was collecting comic books, I think, when they were gaining popularity. I was never into this. I was always a little bit too old for this. I was too old for the cartoon. I did see this movie in movie theaters. Me and a high school friend played hooky, and we were like, do you want to go see the Turtles? And... We were like, well, yeah, kinda. We <laughs> <laughs> might as well have been in class, huh? We snuck off to watch this, and yeah, I knew instantly. The theater was half our age. We were fifteen; they were eight, seven, six. Noisy. You were embarrassed just to be sitting in the room with them. I no, this was not aimed at us. This is aimed at children, and I just want to beg the question right off the bat: Is everything that we like is children worthy of discussion i like scooby-doo i like smurfs i like garfield i don't want to watch those movies but you know you see what i'm saying here like because you have a nostalgic connection to it could there be anything more to talk about than it is from your past yes i believe
1: having again done the research and pry myself For me, coming into this, I am the former Ninja Turtles fan, so I do have a connection in the past. It was a very, very brief connection, as I, too, was perhaps too old for Ninja Turtles. Which just meant that you didn't wear the mask to the movie premiere. (laughs) This was a couple years before Freddy's dead, and really, even when I was 13 and 14, I felt too old for Mutant Ninja Turtles, and I didn't want anything to do with them until a friend of mine forced me to play this arcade game. Did either of you play the- Oh,
3: I spent mounds of quarters to beat that game. The, yeah, the turtle game, you could be one of the turtles and- It's yeah. a
2: side-scroller, right?
1: Yeah. yeah. Yeah.
3: I was not very good at it. Oh, no, no. It, t- it took me about $30 and quarters. A friend of and me, like, yeah, spent an afternoon beating that game.
1: That game rocked so hard. That was my first- first experience with the turtles my second was buying it for the nintendo and oh, worst to, game ever it
3: wasn't the same game no and you had that stupid level in the dam where you had to defuse the bombs and swim yes, and they're, they're yes. freaking turtles and it's impossible to swim with them i hated that game i can never pass that level it was the worst game ever it
1: was one of the most difficult nintendo games in the world but i didn't have a whole lot of money for games so i beat it I just knuckled down and beat it.
3: You used Game Genie, admit it.
1: I never had a Game Genie, so help me God. But I have beaten Contra on One Life, so I just spent a lot of time in front of games. (laughs) But then, yes, that game finally came out on Nintendo. I think the game was my gateway drug, but I really had no interest in the movie. I didn't see it in theaters. I only saw it because Corey Feldman was in it. (laughs) (laughs)
2: is <laughs> your draw Corey feldman you didn't have a license to drive but you had license to drive
1: yes and i was trying to keep up with everything oh. Corey did you still are
3: ironically
1: <laughs> so i rented this movie one dark night does that include meth <laughs> I don't remember you huffing household chemicals, but okay. So I rented this movie, and I was embarrassed taking it up to the video store clerk who was renting me porn, though I was way underage. I'm like, yes, I'll have Slut Gangbang Nine and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. If there's ever a coming of age rental, that was it.
3: Yes, coming of age. <laughs>
2: Really? It, it does, how does that pair with porn? I'm just wondering. Does it? In what way does it get you ready for it?
1: <laughs> when you're 15, any time's a good time. There's no prep needed. So, I take this movie home and I watch it, and I was surprised that I really got into it. And we're going to discuss the reasons, but the special effects, the animatronics, the storyline. There was a character here I really connected with, and no, it wasn't Danny. So, <laughs> I... From this movie, as a 15-year-old started my first toy collection. Now, I'd played with toys as a kid. This was the first time I bought toys as collectibles. I was embarrassed being 15 and buying toys. I had a dealer. Again, no car. A guy would bring me toys every day to work. My friends were buying weed. I was buying turtles. They were both green, and we had to keep it under wraps. I kept telling the guy, it's for my nephew. And I bought a ton of the toys. I got into the comics. I never did get into the TV show too often. I'd watch it once in a while. Now, after about two months, this fad wore off, but... I was pretty deep into the Turtles for a couple months. And with the Michael Bay reboot, I dare say there is as much to talk about in these films as there are in the four Transformers (laughs) films that we've reviewed.
2: Seriously. (laughs) Oh, I'm not going to make that argument that they're not. I Maybe we shouldn't do Transformers. (laughs) I don't know. We'll, We'll see. Yeah, the fact that Michael Bay is going to be the one to make this series mature is the knife that digs deepest, quite frankly.
3: Yeah, I'm not sure about mature, but I feel like I'm in between the two of you. Like, I didn't have to ditch school like you, Stuart, to see this, but I saw this opening weekend. My mom got me out of school early in junior high. We wanted to beat the crowds. I actually, she probably wanted that matinee price. (laughs) Got out of school early to go see this on a Friday afternoon. But you know what? I was into the cartoon. I have a relative who is the voice of one of the turtles. So it's it's actually forbidden to talk about any turtles he never voiced because he is so bitter. He never got called back for these movies, never got called back for the Nickelodeon reboot of this cartoon. (laughs) Who did he voice? Leonardo and... And either Rocksteady or Bebop, one of those two. He did a couple of voices.
1: That is awesome!
3: Yes, I do have an autograph from Leonardo from back in the day. So yeah, I saw this... I watched the cartoon, never got into the toys. The toys, I was too old for the toys. I could watch the turtles cartoon, but I wouldn't play the toys. But I did read the comic. There was a lot of mystery it, it behind the turtles because it started off as an independent black and white comic. And this is the day when you, it was an expensive back issue. You, I remember that thing went for four to six hundred dollars. I was never able to find that first copy. There was so much mystery. I would heard, oh, the shredder dies in that first issue and that it's dark and it's gritty. And once that cartoon, took off. You know, you had your dark and gritty original style Turtles and then you had your Archie comic like the cartoon Turtles. And I read both of them. I I grabbed whatever Turtle comics I could buy.
1: So I think you were far more into the comics than I was. To be perfectly honest, when I read those old issues, I kind of liked the vibe, but yet And I went back and reread them, so I was able to be reminded of my experience. The characters are so indistinct in black and white that there (laughs) is no individuality, and while I kind of liked some of the storylines and I kind of liked the vibe, it didn't grab my interest as a black and white comic. I'm not against black and white. Walking Dead is one of my favorite comics of all time, but that one, I got the appeal, but I didn't go and buy a second trade paperback after the first five issues.
2: My comic book friends always assured me that the roots were, yeah, really dark and cool, that I shouldn't judge it for that thing that was sold to the masses, that there was something more subversive about them. Is that true?
3: Here's, you know, and this is my opinion, my take after reading those early issues. It's not subversive. That that would say satire. These weren't satire. These were a parody. They, this was hey, let's take the most ridiculous thing, something slow and something fast, a turtle and a ninja, and then let's like write it like Frank Miller did with Daredevil or Ronan, another early '80s manga influence story he did. And so let's let's just write it in that gritty tone. I mean, come on. Here we're going to talk about the Foot Clan. Remember the hand or the finger as you called it in Daredevil, Stewart. Uh huh. You had the stick who trained. Daredevil here, their master is splinter. It it was a parody. It's it started off as a joke, but it was a joke that caught on. And you know, that black and white series, again, it it retained Shredder died originally. So they were more violent. I wouldn't say it was like well-written stuff. It was perfect if you're 15, though.
1: I'd agree with that. I'd say that it's on par though with most comics I read in terms of violence and everything else. I mean the Turtles killed when they needed to kill. It was very daredevil and not kitty at all. I mean, I do think that teenage is the perfect age to be reading this, not the six-year-olds who were wearing the masks.
2: If they were in the Marvel Universe, I would presume they'd be hanging out with Howard the Duck and maybe Guardians (laughs) of the Galaxy. It seems like it's all about the idea of it. The name. I remember when they first came on the scene, parents would just say, can you believe the title? They couldn't get past the name Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. It sounded like a trauma film. I think that that was the selling point at first. At
3: least it seemed to be for people. It was going to be outrageous. Yeah, it started a whole trend in, in comics. There was like adolescent black belt radioactive hamsters. Oh, I, I have a couple of back issues from that I found in the quarter bit. It, it, there's some other ones. I don't remember all their names, but they all took this formula because it was such a hot property that managed to go from indie comic. I mean, Eastman and Lair, who, who wrote and drew it, they, published like 3,200 copies from a tax return, and then it becomes this huge multimedia phenomenon. It gets licensed to TV and toys and and movies. Yeah, I
1: really have a lot of credit to give to them as creators who were literally on their last dollar, borrowed some money from an uncle in addition to that tax return, and self-printed a comic that became this phenomenon. And... The phenomenon came because of the toys, though. What happened was the toy company went to them and said, we want to make toys. You seem like a good property. If you can sell it to a television show, we'll make your toys. And so, hence the TV show, which took a little while to take off. But, I mean, that's a huge TV show that ran for 10 years. Just the first series of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, let alone the four series that have followed. And, if you believe WikiFacts... This is the biggest toy line of all time in terms of dollars sold. G.I. Joe, Transformers, Star Wars, all backseat to Turtles.
3: Yeah, I mean, they have a lot of room in the toy store when I go toy shopping even now. They, They have more space than Star Wars, at least, I've noticed. Is that just because there's a new movie, or this would have been the case five years ago? Well, I don't know, five years ago, but Nickelodeon recently bought the property. There's still comics going, but Nickelodeon bought it, and they started a new animated series, and I think they just really pushed it, and it's popular.
1: Interestingly enough, there are comics going. It's a totally new reboot of the Turtle universe.
3: Yeah, I... I checked it out it's they take some things from the old but try to update it it it, again if you're 15 it's probably really good but it's selling well it's not with the big publisher but you know IDW it's one of their best sellers and when I sold those original issues I bought I I made more than cover price for them it was nice there's demand for them
1: Laird still owns the rights though as part of his sale to Nickelodeon to do 18 comics a year in the original continuity he hasn't done any since selling to Nickelodeon guy has so much money why would he But he could. But no, this was hot even before the Bay movie. The Bay movie is coming because we're kind of in a dare I use the t- pun second Renaissance for the Ninja Turtles?
2: <laughs> well, they are named after uh yeah, Renaissance artist. I guess I guess you can get away with that, Arnie. Sure. Go go with it.
1: <laughs> I had to help a co-worker of mine find some turtle toy last Christmas because he knew I knew how to find toys. I hadn't bought Ninja Turtles since 1990, but yeah, these were the hot toy last Christmas, and kids at that age didn't even know there was a movie coming, and probably, knowing his parents, he won't be allowed to see it with Megan Fox in it.
3: I mean, and it should be said, what we're going to be discussing tonight and what I think we'll probably be discussing with that Bay film, th- these turtles are because of the cartoon series, are because of the toys. You know, and the original black and white stuff, you didn't hear stuff about pizza and cowabunga dude and skateboarding. I mean, that was really this marketing team that wanted to create this cartoon so the toys could be sold. This was all their creation to, to kiddify it and, and make it for those seven-year-olds, make them surfers and skaters and extreme sports people or turtles I guess
1: I would say that the movie we're discussing tonight not to say about what we're going to be discussing the next few weeks but I tonight I bet the animated one and I bet the reboot are all the closest in tone to that original comic. These kind of split the difference where they bring in some of the iconography, the colored masks, which was created for the cartoon series, the surfer dude 60s lingo, the Bill and Ted type thing, and yet still retain some of the violence, some of the
2: bloodthirst, and some of the pathos that I saw in those original comics. Okay, you mentioned violence and killing and all of that. I got to get it off my chest, because there's just no way around it. Part of the reasons why I hate these (laughs) (laughs)
0: kids
2: is because they killed Henson. I mean, I hold it on them. Jim Henson, the master puppeteer of our time, who not only developed The Muppet Show, but Dark Crystal, Labyrinth, all the movies that I watched growing up. This was his swan song. This was the last film that his henson shop worked on while he was still alive he got walking pneumonia because he was working too hard on these characters and it wasn't worth it i
1: (laughs) think there may be some urban legend to that fact it is known that he got sick while working on some of his later projects however that was long after this movie was out he started getting sick in late spring of 90. This film was out in early 90. So he's got sick after this thing was in theaters. So if he killed himself, it was in post-post-production doing bonus
2: features for VHS. Okay, so I should hate him for dinosaurs, <laughs> not Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles.
3: All right. <laughs> Did he do dinosaurs too?
1: <laughs> and maybe Ninja Turtles too, because they rushed that son of a bitch. But it's not this film
2: that killed him. Okay. Well, then I will get over that bias. I was going to try to anyway, but I just wanted to speak up. He is a legend. He didn't direct this. I think that that would be quite something if they had actually gotten Jim Henson to direct this movie. This movie is actually made by a music video director, a very famous one. I mean, Steve Barron did Take On Me, Aha, uh-huh, and Billy Jean, <laughs> Michael Jackson. Plus, he did Electric Dreams, a movie I loved in childhood and have not returned to. So, they did get someone of note, but they didn't get Jim Henson to direct this. He is only here to help conceive the turtle designs. I'm going to argue it's the best thing about the entire movie that we lose him to this project, that this is his last effort, so to speak. I don't know. It does pain me. Well...
1: Steve Barron, the director you mentioned, I never thought I'd do a deep dive into his background, but I've listened to hours of podcast interviews and bonus features. Yes, there is a movie commentary for tonight's film. Not available in the States, but I just Z Google Translate (laughs) and was able to order it off Amazon Germany.
3: (laughs) I do have a question. Yeah, because in like the UK, this was... Teenage mutant hero turtles and like Michelangelo couldn't have his nunchucks. Like Europe had, I guess, much stricter standards with violence. I am interested to see if that European cut is different if they try to tame the violence.
1: Extraordinarily, just in summary, the German cut even more than the UK cut. They even added, like, Scooby-Doo cartoon sound effects to every fight to soften it. We'll discuss the violence, but as far as Jim Henson goes, maybe this will strengthen your bias. To me, it makes me respect Steve Barron, the director. Henson wanted no part of this project. Yes! (laughs) He had no desire to do a violent film. He was interested in doing one if it was like the cartoon, but he looked at the script and he said, this is too violent, this is too dark. I do kids stuff, I do children's television workshop, this isn't for me. And Steve Barron stayed on him and said, listen, trust me, this is going to really reach an audience. It's not about the violence, it's not a Schwarzenegger film, and please do this. And yes, you say he died, and we'll discuss the quality of this movie. There is no doubt that the animatronics used in this film are the pinnacle of Henson's career.
2: Okay, well, we'll discuss that. Uh, They're great. The rest of the movie, I don't know, let's get into it. I think there'd be no better time for you to give us the plot. We can get into Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. New York is in the midst of a crime wave. Major
1: thefts are occurring at every level. The police seem helpless to do anything about it. And only TV reporter April O'Neill, Judith Hogue, seems willing to listen to the Japanese immigrants who say the rash of robberies are similar to those performed by the Foot Clan in Japan. But April's inquiries draw her unwanted attention, for it is the Foot Clan at work, and their leader Shredder orders his teenage followers to silence the reporter. Fortunately, four teenage mutant ninja turtles come to her aid. These green-skinned teens are Swordmaster and Team Leader Leonardo, Nunchucker and Goofball Michelangelo, staff wielding Donatello, voiced by Corey Feldman, and angsty Psy-Warrior Raphael. The four teens have been trained by their master, Splinter, a giant talking rat. As Splinter tells the tale to April, he was the pet of a ninja master named Yoshi and learned martial arts by, as, remember, a totally normal rat mimicking his master's moves.
2: <laughs> that is a hysterical image when he's in the cage. I
1: find it so adorable. But Yoshi was killed by Uruku Saki. A ninja master who had eyes for Yoshi's girl. Splinter escapes and he gets a good scratch in on Saki and lives in the sewers when he comes across four baby turtles playing in some toxic waste. Splinter rescued them and the toxic waste made them all grow in size and intelligence. Splinter trained the turtles as his ninja apprentices for 15 years. But it turns out Saki has returned. He donned a mask to hide his scars in his Shredder, the head of the Foot Clan, and as a member of the Foot has followed the Turtles to their lair. So when the Turtles are out, they invade and kidnap Splinter. Teaming up with local vigilante and ex-hockey player Casey Jones, the Turtles must rescue Splinter and stop the Foot Clan. Fortunately, April's boss Charlie has a son, Danny, who has gotten in deep with the Foot, but Splinter has been talking to the boy, trying to lure him away from the dark side. Eventually, Casey Jones and Danny rescue Splinter while the Turtles have a massive fight against the Foot Clan and Shredder. Shredder appears to have the upper hand until Splinter arrives and handily knocks the evil ninja off a rooftop into a garbage truck, which Casey then activates the compactor on, killing the evildoer. And April and Casey share a kiss, and the Turtles shout cowabunga as credits roll.
2: Look, there's no way I'm going to be able to review this. With my normal barometer. I just want to say up the top, for me personally, where I'm at in life, where I was when I was 15 years old, not for me, not recommended for people in my age group. What I am going to do today is imagine that I have children. I have three <laughs> imaginary children that are 5, 7, and 12 and I'm going to be talking about whether I would recommend that they watch them. That's what I want to do today. To me, this is a kids film. This is the first time I've done it. We've done kitty films before. We've covered gremlins. We covered garbage pail kids. God bless us. But this one, I gotta say, there's no way I can evaluate it for myself. I'm looking at it through kid eyes.
1: And I'm lowering my bar a little bit as well, but I'm not pretending I have imaginary kids. I know my nieces and nephews loved this when they were the ages you described back in that year. So I don't need to wonder if kids will like it. Kids did like it. What I'm wondering is, does it hold up and can it hold my interest today But I'm also going to be looking at it when I give my arrow. Does it function for an audience who is not me? Every so often I have to give that recommend where I didn't like the movie. The movie isn't for me, but does it accomplish what it set out to accomplish in an interesting way? So I will be taking that into account and clarifying during my recommends whether I'm saying for me or not for me, but still a green arrow.
3: Yeah, I'm, I'm looking. Is there something recommendable or not recommendable here? It doesn't necessarily have to be for people of our age. You know, we, we always talk about when you approach a movie, you judge a hamburger different than you judge a steak. And what's the, this? This like a happy meal, I guess. So that's that's how I'm approaching it, <laughs> including the toy. Yes, Are, is is it a cool toy that I'm getting with this meal? That's that's my approach.
2: I mean, if you have any doubt about it. Let's look at the start of this movie. There's a crime wave sweeping New York. What are they doing? Are they robbing jewelry stores? Are they hacking into ATMs? Are they robbing banks? No. They're stealing TV sets and Walkmans and VCRs and video games. And they're all 14-year-olds with nylons over their heads. I mean, clearly the crime is something that would appeal. They're stealing the things that our primary audience would enjoy. Young boys would be tempted to join the Foot Clan.
1: I don't know that they'd be tempted to take that old lady's television, though, but her (laughs) over-the-top reaction, her double-take when she turns around and her TV
3: is gone is hysterical. I would have taken any TV at this age. I didn't have my own TV. But yeah, here's the thing. This, This is my frame of mind. Here are a ninja gang that's recruiting teenage boys to just steal everything in the city. Like... Carp launch, whatever you want. Just steal it if you can get your hands on it. I don't know what the goal of this ninja clan is, the foot clan. Are they going to sell this all on a non-existent eBay? Maybe maybe the penny saver (laughs) 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 To, to earn money? I don't know. But, you know, it, it takes me back to, you know, Pinocchio. I don't remember the name of that island they go to, but they all it's all the boys there, and they eventually turn into jackasses. That's the vibe I get, and I could see the appeal to that. When I was 14, to be able to steal stuff and, like, skateboard in a house and play ar- arcade games, okay, I- I'll go with that. I don't know what the overall plan is as an adult. I don't think that's how you approach this, though.
1: I look at this, and I'm evaluating this and thinking back to when I was 15, barely 15, I'd like to add, and watching this on video, I had no problem with this gang. Yep, they're stealing. But now I look at it and I'm like, it really is a lure for teenage boys because they steal cool things. They have warehouses of it. I gotta think they're selling it somehow and just getting Shredder rich. He comes from Japan. Maybe it's the Japanese franchise. He has some franchise dues (laughs) he has to pay. But look at what they do when they're not stealing. A, they're like the Cobra Kai dojo, right? I mean, they're just, (laughs) they're learning martial arts to feel powerful and hurt people. But B, what are they doing for fun? I mean, when they walk in and we get the tour of the gang to an MC Hammer, this is what we do song, which I I love the soundtrack to this when I was 15 as well. And when I'm 40, (laughs) I'm not 40 yet, but I will love this soundtrack at 40. I mean, they're playing cards. There's arcade games. They've stolen the Silver Spoons house. There's
3: cigarettes. Sam Rockwell is giving you cigarettes. That is Sam <laughs> Rockwell in this film. Yes.
2: I did not recognize him, but when I looked up the credits, I was like, Roop. apparently Skeet Ulrich is in here too, but I didn't, I didn't pick him out. But it is an
1: alluring gang, but it is a very kiddie idea of crime. I think one complaint I'm going to have about this whole movie is it's very squarely aimed at suburban children and early teens because nobody who lives in an actual city is going to look at this as a dangerous gang.
2: Yeah, gangs were in the news. I mean, this was a threat. I'm actually approaching that. Okay, I'm looking at my children. They're going to (laughs) learn about gangs and why they shouldn't join them. That's going to be the message for this movie. I want to see this movie deliver a a pretty solid message as to why you would pick anything else other than joining a gang. But, yeah, I mean, even the one in steel was more fearsome than what we have here.
1: Yeah, I mean, this is barely the get-along gang. On the other side, we have the Turtles. (laughs) Turtles. Identifiable by their weaponry, at least in the US version, their lack of weaponry in the UK. I had no idea. That the UK, until very, very recently, had like this phobia of ninja weaponry. Oh, yeah. And Eastern weaponry. Like, you could not have nunchucks in a movie that wasn't their
2: equivalent of rated R. Just nunchucks alone are rating. I blame Clackwork Orange. Ever since Clackwork Orange prompted gangs and hooligans, they were cracking down on gang themed
3: films. So, uh, <laughs> you have Stanley Kubrick to thank for not getting <laughs> your authentic turtles. <laughs> Yeah, you know, one of the things that the cartoon did, like you said earlier, Arnie, all the turtles got different color headbands in the original comic. They were just, well, it was a black and white comic, but on the (laughs) covers, they'd all be red. And again, that cartoon, Leonardo leads, Donatello does machines, Raphael is cool but rude, Michelangelo is a party dude. They each gave him a role so you could identify him.
2: Oh, is that the roles? Uh, Because honestly, this was my biggest fear, was I had no (laughs) idea who was who. You just got to sing the theme song to the cartoon. And it's been
1: in my head for like two weeks now.
2: I don't think (laughs) I ever saw a single cartoon of that. I don't know the theme song. I was really wondering, are they going to be able to establish these cats as, as characters? Am I going to be able to know who is who? Will they have individual story arcs? God forbid. I mean, will they actually work to make each one feel identifiable? I think primarily, if you have a favorite, you pick them based largely on your favorite color and the weapon you'd like to carry. <laughs> I'll say they do
1: not do a good job of distinguishing the four turtles. Because I was thinking the exact same words you just recited, Jacob. And I'm like, yes, they say Leo's the leader. Nobody seems to listen to him. And Donatello and Michelangelo are basically both party dudes. They're like the Greek choir of this movie. They are interchangeable background. The star of this movie is Raphael.
3: Yeah, you know, when you have Corey Feldman, why is he supposed to be the scientist turtle Donatello? Like, what? isn't he supposed to be Michelangelo, like the party one? Scientist. <laughs> the, well, that's in the cartoon. He does know his thing about chemicals. Yeah. Okay, I could not figure out in, th-
2: his whole defining trait was he was Corey Feldman. Yes. yes. So <laughs> I thought he was going to like you know sell someone a dime bag. I really did not know what his whole. But yeah, exactly. If you wanted this character, it was done better with Michelangelo.
3: Yeah, he he could never come up with a cool phrase. That's how you remember who Donatello is. I didn't even remember that. Leo,
2: I got he was the leader. I think they say it later, but he kneels in front of Splinter when they get home. He's the only one that's respectful. He actually listens to what his sensei says. So therefore, it struck me that he was the serious one. Maybe he was the John Lennon of the group. That's kind of how I saw him.
1: Yeah, I mean, if you listen to my plot summary, I was able to say Leo's the leader. I was able to say Michelangelo was the goofball. I was able to say Raphael was angsty. And then I said Donatello had a bow. I mean, there <laughs> yes. was, and was voiced by Corey Feldman. There's nothing to differentiate him. At one point later in the movie, he's sitting in a car that's being repaired by Casey Jones. But that's as mechanical or intellectual as he gets in this film.
2: I had no idea that was his character.
1: Yeah.
3: Well, its I don't think it's established in this film. This film's really about Raphael. That It's his story. It's not the turtle story.
2: Is he angry because he wears red? Or is he angry because he's the only character that doesn't have a "o" no at the end of his name?
1: <laughs> <laughs> he's angry because he's a teenager. And this is what I related to when I first watched this movie. I'm like... Yeah, he's angry and watches Critters. I'm angry and I watch Critters!
2: (laughs) (laughs) So much has changed. (laughs) Actually, we haven't covered Critters yet. Yet.
1: I mean, I really connected with his pathos. And when he has that talk with Splinter and he's like, everyone's going through the same thing you're going through, but you choose to go through it alone. That spoke to me, the teenage Arnie here. I really connected with this film as a 15-year-old because of Raphael.
3: Yeah, I agree. Th- th- if This is about teenage mutant ninja turtles, not kids or adult <laughs> turtles, but teenage ones. Yeah, angsty teen. I think if you see this around that age, I think I was 12 or 13 when I saw this, I got that. I'm like, yeah, I don't want to listen to my parents. Why do you want to listen to a big stupid rat? You want to go out, you got ninja skills, go out and just kick butt. Why do you got to meditate? Like, I totally get Raphael. I'm willing to bet my
2: 12-year-old does get Raphael. I'm thinking that the younger ones probably love Michelangelo. Michelangelo is the one that does all the funny impressions. He's the one always there with a joke. He's kind of got a surfer intonation to his voice. I think that he's the one you like if you like the funny one. Imagine this, I like Leonardo because he actually minded, he was disciplined, he he wasn't rude.
3: He did break out into a dance, though, when they were asked to meditate. He led that that line dance going on in the (laughs) sewer. Oh, did he?
2: Yeah.
1: Yes.
3: (laughs) Later on, yes, he does mature but at the beginning here he's the most
1: respectful but he's still a teenager he's still gonna show the old rat the new way to do things
2: they're all 15 years old and they're all dealing with it in different ways but you're right Raphael is the character with an arc he's the star of this film we pay attention to him i'm always wondering what how he's going to respond to the stimulus the other ones kind of just are a chorus he's alone and again i wonder does he not fit in the group because his name doesn't rhyme I, I think it's not that defined. I don't know
1: why, when writing this, they chose to make Raphael the outcast. Although, I do see this a little bit. I went back and I reread those first comics, and Raphael was the hothead, even in like the first couple issues.
3: Yeah, that's that was always his character, even in the comics.
1: Yeah, I mean... In the comics I read, Splinter got kidnapped. The others say we need to do things logically. Raphael runs off on his own. They took that directly for here. But yeah, he is the one
2: I connected to the most. Now, they're coming back from their very first fight. They're 15 years old. They've never done this before. They've been trained as ninjas, untested in the real world. We didn't see them ...fight because of the way that this movie was shot. What we saw was that April O'Neil, the reporter that was warning about the Foot crime wave... ...was coming out of her studio at some darkened hour... ...sees the Foot clan robbing the news van... ...and becomes a a target for mugging or who knows what... ...and the lights go out, there's a sigh that flies by, we see the light bulb crack... And the next thing we know, the cops have arrested them. I didn't pick up the fact that all four of them were in this fight. I thought it was only Raphael when I first watched this.
3: No, I took it. It's It sounded like a cartoon fight. I I mean, come on. You you got April. I do love, you know, in the cartoon, she wore her big yellow jumpsuit all the time. Here, they just give her a yellow, like, dick tracy raincoat (laughs) i like that little nod there but you know that the lights go out you hear people being beat up i i don't know i i assume because then it cuts to the sewers and you see multiple turtles i you do yeah well you see their shadows it's a slow reveal till we get to these puppets
2: i couldn't see crap i'll just be honest with you the cinematography in this movie is deplorable it infuriates me how dark this set is and I don't know why because the costumes the turtle designs are terrific you don't need to hide them I would only put them in shadows if they didn't look right these turtles look good when we can see them so why can't we ever see them what format did you see this on DVD
1: or Blu-ray DVD okay then you saw Steve Barron's vision he wanted it dark and the reason is because these outfits don't look that good in the bright light he fought the studio tooth and nail the studio wanted basically the cartoon on the screen steve Barron wanted to go back to the eastman and laird concepts that was what he was interested in making and he insisted this be dark now i saw the blu-ray release they amped Up the brightness. I mean, I've read on forums Mutant Ninja Turtle fans actually turned the brightness of their television down to correct what the Blu-ray did. But I saw everything. I mean I saw (laughs) everything. You're like the lights went out. I'm like, did they? I saw four turtles.
3: (laughs) You did. (laughs) Yeah, you know, I I like how this is shot. I remember it being dark when I saw it in the theater years and years, decades ago. And, it, you know, when I watched this on DVD, it it was just as dark and muddy. I kind of like the feel it gives. If I'm a a parent having to sit with my child to watch this, I don't know if I want to be able to see all the seams and these... I I can't imagine this looking good in the light. I I don't know, Arnie. Maybe it did on that Blu-ray, but it, it has a cheaper feel to me in an indie kind of way that I like because it is so dark.
1: In the light... Splinter looks like the most homeless Chuck E. Cheese animatronic you've ever seen. (laughs) It really does look like that rat went out and just became homeless. And the turtles, I do think that what they did for them was amazing with the eyebrows and the lips, but still, they are best served as ninja in the shadows, not with the full brightness turned
2: up so you can see the seams where the actor inside is looking out of their neck. Okay, I mean, and I think it's fine for an introduction. I get that we're supposed to withhold. We're not supposed to see them until they're down in the sewer and they're jumping out for the credit sequence. But my point is, eventually, I want to be able to see these guys. Once you've lifted the curtain, and I'm impressed with what I'm seeing, I've adapted. I don't need for them to be hidden anymore. If there's a seam here or there, it's not going to bother me. I like the way these turtles look. I like the way that the mouth movements match the dialogue. I think that this is a very convincing... Vision of the cartoon characters. I actually believe they're doing this because they believe this is how comic book movies should be post Tim Burton's Batman.
1: I think that is part of it. Again, trying to keep that harder edge. And when we reviewed Burton's Batman, we talked about how in 89, we all thought that was so dark. And now watching it now, we're like, yeah, it's not that far removed from Batman 66. Well, this is probably one shade closer to Batman 66 than Burton's Batman, but it's still trying to keep that gritty feel, which is, again, to go back to our opening discussion about if this movie has anything to be reviewed, I'd say this is very much in line with so many of those other comic book movies we've reviewed in terms of tone.
2: I disagree with that but i don't think that this movie is dark because it's tapping into a violent vigilante 70s pulp feel i think it's dark because someone didn't turn on enough lights and it's difficult to enjoy this movie the way that the cinematographer chose to film it
1: it was the director's choice not the cinematographer credit where due don't jump on john fenner it was steve (laughs) Barron who kept saying dark dark dark
3: You know, speaking of dark and 70s and pulp, come on. We have Casey Jones here, which... High on cocaine. Yeah. I can't believe he even made it in, into the kids cartoon. I mean, this is a guy that wears a hockey mask and beats you with hockey sticks and baseball bats and cricket bats, any kind of sports equipment he could find. And his introduction here, beating up two punks and then going at it with Raph. Again, th- this isn't violent and with blood and bones being broken, but you know, maybe for your imaginary 12 year old, Stuart, this is all right. I don't know though, for like the five year old, you know, for a guy to break out baseball bats and start attacking People that might be a little too much.
2: No, the five year old was crying. Yeah, this is (laughs) way too much. I couldn't shut him up, I had to take him out of the theater.
1: Now, this Robert De Niro lookalike was the second reason I liked this movie back when I was 15. I loved his jokes, I loved his attitude, I loved his violence. And when he and Raph go at it at the beginning, I mean, these are the two characters that draw me in. One draws me in on an emotional level, the turtle, and one <laughs> draws me in on an action level.
3: Yeah, I, I do love like Casey Jones was like, what are you, some kind of punker? Like, what? Like, it was all, even in the cartoon, I always laugh when the turtles went out in daytime and put on trench coats. And like, that was supposed to get by as a disguise. And here, like, it's like, why do you got that green makeup on? I'm like, huh? Like, it was mind-baffling even then as a a 13-year-old watching this. But, yeah, I do get what you're saying, Arnie. I like Casey Jones because he is the badass.
2: Elias Koteas has had a career beyond this movie, and I have enjoyed him in many indies. He does a lot of Canadian films with directors like Cronenberg and Adam Agoyan. Yeah, here's the hook of this, uh, the bind that I'm in. On one hand, he is charming. You mentioned De Niro. Yeah, I'm thinking about Taxi Driver. I'm thinking about a loose cannon vigilante that's out there putting on a mask. He's kind of a kick-ass who's just kind of fumbling his way through. I'm not sure how good he is at his job, but the lesson that he's teaching is rather frightening. I get fooled by this. We had earlier that Raphael had to leave. He was angry, I think, at the other Turtles He was not wanting to listen to Splinter, and now he's meeting another sensei that's going to teach him that the way to deal with juvenile delinquents is to beat them with bats. I'm thinking this is a bad guy.
3: does come off that way at first. I do like that Raph, as much angst as he has, and that he's the hot-headed one. Even he recognizes that Casey Jones is taking it too far. He, you know, he doesn't want to beat these guys to a pulp. He just kind of wants to tie him up and call the cops and have him picked up and arrested.
2: Yeah. The, Elias Cateus is a charming actor. I think when he doesn't wear the mask, when he's not in these scenes, he is a real fun presence in this movie, but the bind is when he puts the mask on and we're in this seedy thing, it feels like something out of The Warriors. I mean, it, just, it really doesn't feel right, and I want to talk to my children afterwards about how you shouldn't <laughs> want to be like Casey after seeing this.
1: I do see at the beginning that he's a little bit different than Raphael, because Raphael stops two muggers, kicks them punches him a little, lets him go. I mean, he's got size, but at this point he's lost one, but he's got a size. He doesn't go stabbing them. It's Casey Jones who's like, no, no, we stop them, and then we continue to beat them to punish them. I don't kind of mind that, though. I really don't think that criminals should get off just with a slap on the wrist. If we can cricket bat to the head, sure, I'm down with that. But you got the arc backwards the arc is they teach casey jones that kindness is as effective a way of stopping criminals as a cricket bat
3: They do? This isn't about kindness or nonviolence. This is about, if you're going to be violent, just get along with your team so you can work together.
1: No, no. Keep in mind, when the whole thing comes down, Casey Jones is facing kids just like the ones he was beating up. But he has to give them the motivational speech about being themselves and doing what's true to them. He
2: could just hit them all in the face. He doesn't. He doesn't give that speech. Splinter gives that speech. He walks away in disgust when they say we're a family but he actually isn't a motivational speaker and the last time i see him he's crushing someone in a garbage compactor <laughs> i i don't believe that he's learned to turn the other cheek here no he is Travis Bickle, he is the taxi driver, and while the adult me enjoys that in a subversive way, he's just a little too subversive for this kiddie vibe.
1: And yet, he's what I clung on to, maybe, because I was an older person in this, and watching it this time, I kind of look at 15-year-old me going, I don't quite know what you saw so cool, but he is fun. He has good comic timing, and at least he's distinct. This is what I find very interesting about this film, is we spend a lot of time developing Raphael, Shredder, splinter casey jones and april o'neill and yet the other three turtles get the short stick
3: yeah but isn't that always the way it is in a team movie i mean we, we talk about all these x-men films come on we ne- we're never talking about storm except to make fun of her like she <laughs> never becomes a major character but they feel they have to throw her in all the time
1: but at least we're talking about x-men here it's the movie's teenage mutant ninja turtles it's Raphael, casey
3: jones april O'Neil, and the rest I'm okay with that. I I, Again, with these big ensembles, I, I think you have the background characters and you pick one or two of those to stand out as to give them the arc, to give them the story and the rest kind of support them in there.
2: A better screenwriter would take the time and the care to develop each and every turtle. You know, there's going to be sequels, so maybe Leonardo's going to get his movie next time. This is Raphael's movie. For me, that's learning all of this. I have enough to process. It's fine that it's simplistically about an angry teenager that's going to learn how to fit in with his group. I'm learning about this group, so I'm fine with following that as a lesson.
1: And the one thing all the turtles have in common, and the one thing I cannot agree with them on is they all find april o'neill hot
2: (laughs) (laughs) yeah who is judith Hogue? it sounds a lot like judith hogg which is unflattering
1: enough (laughs) yeah she (laughs) got top billing she's been on 33 episodes of that tv show nashville that i've watched like five seconds of and she was in
3: hitchcock she continues to work okay good for her I kind of go with this version of April. I, is she a, a classic beauty? No. I don't know who would put her in front of a camera for broadcast news. They go for very superficial looking people, typically, to get people to pay attention. But again, kind of with the vibe of this film, with Casey Jones, with the darkness, that I get a Leia Thompson vibe. Like, if Leia Thompson's <laughs> going to screw a duck how Howard the Duck... I would go that, you know, later on she's going to be kind of won over by some of these turtles and have a thing for him. I'm going to believe this woman has a thing for turtles. Here's the thing. I would have wanted her to be
2: a little bit more Margot Kidder. It's fine that she's not a glamour puss. In fact, I respect the fact that they didn't go with a product model kind of look for April O'Neill. That would be boring. That's what we're going to get in the Michael Bay version with Megan Fox. But here, what we should be getting is a hard-nosed reporter that will do anything for a story. What's crazy to me is that she ends up with the sigh in the first battle. Raphael comes to reclaim it and saves her from another foot battle. And she never once thinks about reporting them or outing their identity or using any of this information to further her career. I think that would make her a much more fun character. It would make me think pleasantly about those early Richard Donner Superman movies. Here, she's a feisty character. She tries to fight with the sigh, but I don't really get her motivation. She's ultimately kind of
3: dull. But she goes after City Hall. She's she's bugging the police chief, trying to get him to admit he knows something. I get what you're saying. She feels like a tabloid news reporter, you know. The, the,
2: no, a tabloid news reporter would say four turtles in the sewer and with pictures on the cover, you know. They, <laughs> the vibe
3: you get from her is tabloid news, but she's going after, like, this hard-nosed journalism, like, I'm going after City Hall. I'm going to bring down the police chief. It, there, There is a bit of a disconnect there. I get what you're saying.
2: Yeah, I— I would have liked to seen her just take a little bit more time to get comfortable with the, the turtles. She's pretty much over them right from the get-go. She gets a little bit scared when she wakes up on their couch and screams a little bit. But then she's totally on their side. She never thinks about selling them out.
1: I'm actually fine with her. Her story has been the Foot Clan. Instead of selling out the turtles, she's using them so that she could further the story about the criminals. So I never once... Thought that she should have gone the other way. That said, when I watched the cartoon series after this, that's exactly what she did. She said, you give me the story on this Foot Clan, or I'm going to sell you as the story. Either way, I'm getting a lead. So she did
2: blackmail them in the cartoon version. So the cartoon is more sophisticated than this movie. (laughs) Okay. Well, then that gives me hope when we get to the TMNT animated movie.
3: Well, come on. There's no crane here, A a brain that lives inside of a robot's tummy.
2: I do know what that is, and I had questions about that, but I assume it's coming later. Never. We will never touch Krang, unless
1: Michael Bay puts him in.
2: What was the rhinoceros? We'll talk about that next week. Okay.
1: (laughs) See, I know something. (laughs) You were my friend, and I did have the
2: toys on display. (laughs) I think I ate the cereal (laughs) ones.
1: Yeah, April O'Neil's storyline is the one that Really, they spend a lot of time with it. Yet, Judith Hogue, she chose not to return because so many of her scenes were cut in this movie. She felt her character was not done justice, so she would not do a sequel. <laughs> Did
2: she not read the title of the script? It isn't April O'Neill and the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles.
3: And I get that there might be some cutscenes. I mean, overall, this movie is about family. We'll have a character named Danny and his relationship with his dad. We have the turtles with Splinter. Even April, like, she runs part-time uh, antique store because it's her dad's stuff and she just can't let it go. Like, there is that theme there, but it never goes anywhere with her except it gets burned down.
1: Yeah, is that her way of parting with the past? Is, I can't let all this stuff go because it reminds me of my father. Fire, burn. <laughs> <laughs> I just don't know why we spend so much time on April, because she does not have an arc at all. She's purely a plot contrivance. I don't know why she lets her boss into her apartment's bathroom. Yeah, that's...
2: That's really weird. Like, were they having an affair? I, I assumed that they were having an affair. Why <laughs> can't this wait until I get to work? I don't understand why she's getting ready to go into work, and her boss and his son are knocking on her door.
1: Because the dressing room at the news station would be another set, and this was a really low budget indie <laughs> film.
3: <laughs> yeah, they needed the plot contrivance that Danny, the boss's son, sees the turtles at April's house, so he knows to tell Shredder that's who you find the turtles through. It, it's total plot contrivance. Like, there is no boss. I don't know. I'm sure there might be. Be some boss that shows up at your house, but that's sexual harassment. You'll get fired.
2: It seems to me like we should be paying more attention to Danny because Danny's the target audience. I agree. It's weird that we're spending so much time on this middle-aged white woman when there is a boy that really could be doing the same thing. I love the way that he's introduced. You know, he's listening to his Walkman. He's not paying attention to his father. His father's saying, how did he get that? We know. He was in those introductory Foot Clan scenes. We know he's in the group. We know he's going to use that information against the turtle. Or else he's going to rat him out.
1: Yeah, I liked this introduction of Danny, the way he steals the 40 bucks. My problem is Danny's just a little too good the whole time. It's like he could have used a little bit more of Raphael's angst for me to understand why he's rebelling against his dad. His dad, yeah, he does take him along to reporters' apartments to ream them out, but the father seems to be a caring dad. This kid just is rebelling for rebellion's sake, and he doesn't even seem all that committed to it.
3: Was there a cut scene, do you know, Arnie? Because at the end, when they reconcile Danny and his dad, his dad says, Danny. And then Danny goes, it's Dan. And he goes, it's Dan. Like, it seems like that was a big deal. Like, the dad was still treating him like a kid. Like, there might have been a cut scene or something because of that ending scene.
1: Yeah, Spreckensy, no cut scenes. um <laughs> Nothing in the German. I even read the movie comic adaptation. There was an alternate ending that added a scene, but that was about it. I did get that. It's Dan now. And I'm like, so that's his character arc. He goes from Danny to Dan. That's how he's grown up. He's dropping the NY. Okay.
2: Yeah, I would have liked to have seen Danny play more of a role here. I think it would have made sense. Maybe he could have befriended one of these turtles that isn't doing very much. Maybe Corey Feldman and him could hang.
1: Well, he befriends Splinter because after they take April O'Neil to the sewer, one of the Foot Clan follows them and then leads the others down there. So while the turtles are all having pizza at April's, they kidnap Splinter so that Splinter can have emotional talks and long talks with Danny saying trite things like, all fathers care for their sons. And this is where I'm like, this has to be aimed at suburbia, because there's a lot of dads who don't give a shit about their sons. There's a lot of dads who don't even know about their sons.
3: And that's not necessarily a bad thing to go after, fathers and sons. I mean, it seems like the natural way to go with the story about teenage, even if they're ninjas and mutants and turtles, but it's about teenagers and it's about their father figure and them having to learn to obey their father. When Splinter asks them to meditate at first, they're breakdancing and later on they'll actually meditate and find that they, I don't know, have magical force powers through it.
2: Sure, I like it as a theme. I think it's worked time and time again. But did they have to so blatantly rip off Star Wars? I mean, really. Splinter (laughs) is Yoda and Shredder is Darth Vader. I mean, he even says, I am your father in a booming
3: voice. Yeah, I'd laugh. That had to be a joke. And he says
1: we have a new enemy. So he's, he's Vader and the Emperor all in one.
2: Yeah, I mean, I do feel like this movie is littered with references. And unlike something like Gremlins or Gremlins 2, I don't think it's done out of satire. I think that they're hoping you don't recognize where it's coming from when they're dancing to tequila and Pee-wee Herman did it seven years before. They're trying to target an audience that didn't see Pee-wee's Big Adventure. They're trying to target an audience that doesn't know Moonlighting. They're making these jokes... But I don't think that it's, they're in jokes. I think they're out jokes. I think they're jokes we're not supposed to get. They're hoping we don't know the reference. Well, no, because they actually say, "Isn't this just
1: like moonlighting?" Which was funny because I was actually thinking of moonlighting when Casey and April slammed the opposing doors. That's a moonlighting trademark. But then they actually call it out and say, "This seems just like moonlighting." My question was, do the kids watching this movie even know what moonlighting is? Even back in '90, it was past its prime. But
3: <laughs> yeah, I I didn't know what moonlighting was. I was. Too young to really get into that. I knew Bruce Willis was in it, but I, speaking of Star Wars, I was getting, I was waiting for the Han and Leia reference with yeah. April and Casey. That's the vibe I got from them, but I guess it's moonlighting according to you, Arnie. But you know what? This is like if we had to, heaven forbid, ever do the Shrek series, Like this is what they do in these kids' cartoons is they do put adult references in there so the adults have something to laugh at and entertain themselves. And I, I think this film does both. I mean, April, at the, her opening monologue talking about the Foot Clan says, who you going to call? And I want to yell Ghostbusters, but this is a Turtles movie. Like I, I think there are jokes jokes in there that kids will get. I think you know, the, the 50-year-old writers <laughs> did the script here, put in some jokes that they would get, and I think that's how kids' movies work. They, they want to throw something in there for the parents that gotta sit through this.
2: Then Joe Dante does it better because I really liked it in Gremlins too, and I think that you can have zingers that, you know, you watch something like The Simpsons and kids laugh because it sounds funny and adults laugh because they're in-jokes. These don't feel like in-jokes. When they're doing Star Wars, it feels like rip-offs. It feels like, oh, they're splinter strung up like Rambo from First Blood too and these kids are in the audience are too young to have seen that movie credit where due though i mean what you're referencing
1: jacob is different than what gremlins was doing gremlins was making a joke that was so out there in the pop culture that no one can miss it here what Jacob's talking about is there are certain jokes that are aimed at the kids and certain jokes aimed at the adults and that's very common now with shrek and the pixar films and all of the current slate of animation wreck it ralph but that wasn't the thing in 1990 so credit where due this is a
2: pioneer of that kind of bifurcated (laughs) film do we know that have we watched all the family films from the 80s the problem was the 80s family films were all terrible nobody wants to watch oliver and company in black cauldron
3: i don't think black cauldron has a bunch of pop culture jokes for adults in there <laughs> just a uh, just a guess i haven't seen it since it was originally released but here's the thing though we, we could debate who these jokes are for all we want i don't laugh at any of them like no bossa nova Huh? Chevy but Like, a Jose Canseco bat? I hope you didn't pay a lot for that. Like, come on. Th- none of these are funny. I don't know. Stuart, maybe your five-year-old's laughing.
2: Yeah, my five- and my seven-year-old giggled <laughs> sometimes. All
1: right, I, tr- I, I did laugh at the Jose Canseco one.
3: I, I guess Jose Canseco's funny because he, he's kind of a shamed baseball player now, so his bat wouldn't be worth it. Yeah,
1: that, that's why I was
3: laughing.
2: <laughs> I think it was because he played for Oakland, though. I mean, he was in his prime at this point. He was not the
3: steroids joke that he is now. I mean, come on. Wayne Gretzky on steroids? Yeah, th- this is five to seven-year-old humor. None of this is great. That That's not what's holding my attention here.
1: I'll say I never laughed out loud. Good. I'm glad to hear it. <laughs> I rocked out to the soundtrack. But, yeah, that was about all I got. All right, there was one joke that I got a little bit of a chuckle out of is when they say they got shell-shocked. I thought that was kind of a clever pun. You know, when Donatello's judging all the shell puns that they can dish out.
2: No, yeah, I remember. And he he sells one that was the shell of a hit or something like that. Yeah,
3: I remember it. He's getting his kids, like, another round of popcorn while they were telling those jokes. <laughs> yeah,
2: I am definitely go- <laughs> going to take a piss.
3: I am
1: coming back
2: leisurely with plenty of beef.
1: <laughs> and when you come back, are you surprised that this hard-nosed reporter has a country home
2: somewhere near Manhattan? A little more surprised that Raphael is in a coma and no one's particularly caring <laughs> about it except Leo,
3: but yeah. Yes! Yes! this again i don't know how your imaginary kids are reacting but i'm watching this even now like this fight breaks out at april's apartment Raphael has been getting beat up by the whole foot clan like they just toss his body through the skylight and they're like is is he okay they're like barely like he's on the verge of death there and then when they go to this country home i don't know why april has an antique store why she has a country farm but the way they have him like laying in that bathtub like (laughs) he looks broken <laughs> yes! It's like, it's, it's like funny on one hand, but it is also shocking, like, how pitiful they make him look, like, how on the verge of death they make this kid's toy look. You know, I knew they weren't gonna kill him. I,
2: I knew that there was gonna be four turtles at the end of this, <laughs> but they've tried to accentuate something that I'm guessing is a, a theme of the cartoon in the later movies. Leo and Raphael don't get along. There's a fight for power that Raphael would, would rather be in charge. No.
3: No, I think Raphael's a loner, and even, splinter calls it out he says you're unique because you choose to face your anger alone you're not with your brothers and i think that's the difference leo wants everyone to get along and work as a team and ralph is the loner
2: okay but they seem to fight and the others acknowledge that donatello and michelangelo they go off in the kitchen and start eating chips when they sense a fight coming they know before i do that these two don't get along (laughs) <laughs> and that's the guilt. That's why Leo is watching Vigil. I mean, he could be out at the outhouse with everybody else yucking it up, but he is standing by this bathtub because he told Raphael that he wasn't needed, and now he has terrible guilt.
3: And here's the thing for me. I don't remember exactly. I, I'm guessing this whole country farm stuff tested my patience as a 13-year-old, but I kind of like that. I, I see a lot of character build. Now, some of it, again, this isn't... Sophisticated character building. I'm not saying that you, you have April telling us a lot of what's going on, but you, we have these characters bonding. Donatello and Casey Jones are bonding while trying to fix this truck. Leo watching over Ralph. Like, I, I like this country scene. It, it takes, it slows down the pace, but it also gives time for all these characters to build. I, if you're looking at this as an origin story, you know, Leonardo's not the leader yet. Donatello isn't the great scientist yet. And we just start to see the those things emerging here and it works for me
1: i'm with you jacob the scene i'm still trying to figure out how close they are to new york but i think that this really is where it drives home that these are characters that are written in a way that you can empathize with their position and understand what they're going through and want to see them come back and rescue their father figure and this scene without it i don't think you'd root for them as hard Although I don't think even this scene helped Stuart
2: root for them at all. Well, not particularly. Again, I'm with Raphael because Raphael's the most interesting. He's the one with conflict. I wish I could feel for the other ones, but they're basically there for the laughs and the laughs aren't plentiful. Supposedly, they're all traumatized by the fact that Splinter isn't there, but the real problem with that is we never had much time with them and Splinter to begin with. We've had some flashbacks. We've had an explanation that Splinter found them, but we don't really see that they are tightly connected. So, the fact That He's not there anymore. We don't feel that absence. That's why this whole meditation scene, it should work. It should be moving. We should be crying like Michelangelo when he appears as a a spirit and says that he's proud of his sons, but it just rings a little hollow. It just feels like a Yoda moment.
1: Oh, yeah, I definitely felt Yoda all over Splinter.
3: It was actually Elmo, though. I mean, that that is the puppeteer, Elmo. What? <laughs> Not Yoda, yes.
2: Well, you know, Elmo comes later. Like People know Elmo and love him and tickle him, but when I watched Sesame <laughs> Street, there was no Elmo, so I have no idea, really, what that is. Yeah,
1: same here. Elmo's beyond my time. It's
2: true, yes. But, you know, I like to see them come together. I think what's weird is my sense is Splinter is trying to be, uh, you know, I've said Yoda, but there's also a Mr. Miyagi quality. He's teaching them martial arts so that they can be ninjas. And yet I feel like there's a contradictory message of he doesn't want them to get into unnecessary fights or
3: to become. Well, no, you never took martial arts, did you? No. That, that is always the first thing. Now, maybe it's liability reasons. I can be cynical. And it can be liability reasons. But every martial arts thing is, it's never for, even I think we talked about this in the Karate Kid. It's not for offense. It's for defense. And you're never supposed to use those arts to take advantage of people. You're supposed to use it to defend yourself and others.
2: Right. But they don't do that. And, and really their missions are to go out and to, yeah, hurt children who are beating up April. Well, they're
3: defending April.
1: Yeah, they're using it for defense. It's it's very Jedi. You use it for defense of yourself and others, but you don't go and use it offensively. You don't start a protection racket just because you can kick people's ass.
2: Okay, so they're not a gang because that's the thing I'm struggling with is like this is supposed to be an anti-gang message. And yet here's a gang of turtles that go out and beat up people, sometimes very viciously and palling around with a guy in a hockey mask who does it even more viciously. (laughs) (laughs) So he sneers about what family means to the foot. I would turn the mirror right back at him. See,
1: I think that you're being too judgmental here, and I view what they do as being heroes. And if the heroes are attacked, they beat up the bad guys, but they're comic book heroes first and foremost.
2: I don't see them saving the day so much as beating. I mean, you mentioned the violence in this movie. That's what really comes across. They're using these weapons. They have sticks. They have size. They are clubbing people. I don't see them saving grandmas that have their purchase snatches that much. What I'm really seeing is the brutality. I mean, it's it's kid light. Don't get me wrong. I don't want to say I'm aghast at violence and the bruises. I'm just saying that If these are heroes, that message is a little muddy.
1: How is this any different than what we would see in Daredevil or Batman when they beat up the thugs who they
2: see on the streets? Those are anti-heroes. I I do want to remind you, those are anti-heroes. Those are not heroes.
1: You're not alone. This movie had a huge backlash from parents about the violence. We mentioned how it was censored in the UK and Germany. The toy company, who... Became billionaires because of Mutant Ninja Turtles, refused to make toys tying into this movie. Wow. They said it was too violent. I don't see it.
3: But that's so weird because all their toys already had nunchucks and ninja stars and swords.
1: Yeah, I don't see where this is such a big deal. Leonardo never takes his swords and beheads anyone or impales anyone. Yeah. There's nunchucks but it's very slapstick. I'm gonna bop you on the head. It's never I'm cracking your skull and concussing you. Raphael has size but nobody bleeds. This to me comes off as cartoon Looney Tunes violence. I I don't understand where you, Stuart, or the parents, or the toy company is coming from on this one.
3: I feel like in the 90s, that's when we started getting real sensitive and concerned over kids entertainment and you know, coming out of the 80s where it was all motivated by toys and now people were ticked off by that. and They were just growing more aware and, and watching it more. I think that's what this reflects. If this came out in 85, there would have been toys all over the shelf next to your Rambo and... RoboCop and Alien, yeah. Alien toys. RoboCop, yeah.
2: Yeah, I, it's really, it's all in the tone in the writing. I agree with you. The actual physical violence is not offending to me. I would let my five-year-old watch this violence because it feels like three stooges it feels like people that aren't really getting hurt but i do not get heroes out of that i guess that's the distinction i would make they look like a gang of turtles they don't look like a band of heroes
3: i'm not sure how a band of turtles look like heroes i don't know i i I don't get anti-hero vibe out of this because they are still into partying and eating pizza as a kid i could relate to that like that doesn't come off as something threatening to me that's like cool like yeah they're having fun and they're fighting bad guys
1: i don't even understand why we're having this conversation the foot clan steals televisions and entire semi-trucks full of goods these guys Only attack bad guys. I mean, it's that simple. If you only
2: attack bad guys, that's a good thing. No, I understand, Arnie, but you're missing what I'm saying. They could blow out the tires and stop the truck, and they could expose the criminals, catch them red-handed, tie them up in nets. They pick up sticks and beat them until they fall over, and that's the difference.
3: But they only did that when they were attacked. When they got that gang that was going after April, they did tie him up and wait for the cops. But it's when the foot attacked them, yeah, they have to fight back at that point.
2: I would just like to see a smarter band of heroes. To me, a hero is about more than muscle, and these guys just look like martial artists. They just look like people that can do moves. I guess maybe they'll grow. They're teenagers. Maybe they will get better at this. It's just my initial impression.
1: And I don't have anything wrong with a martial artist hero. I mean, around this same time, maybe I think a year or two after this, Rumble in the Bronx came out, and I started to get into some old Bruce Lee stuff. And yeah, I'm fine with a hero who protects through their martial arts skills. I would really feel let down if these guys could kick all kinds of butt, but at the end, they have to sit down and put down their weapons and outthink the enemy.
3: Yeah, if if you want that stuff, go watch the UK version.
2: Yes, I hear it. But you guys are speaking from an adult perspective. These are turtles that are beating up children because they took a television set. That's not necessarily the message I would want to send. I like the fact that they're anti-theft, but I just, uh, the tone, I'm not totally cool with it.
3: Yeah, but besides that opening scene where they rescue April, we don't see them fight children. They fight the Foot Clan. Now, it might be children in those ninja outfits. That's what I presume. But they are fighting ninjas. These are children. We see them indoctrinated.
2: They're at least very early adults. They're 18, 19-year-olds. But to me, I just presume that they were a gang of children. No, I took them
1: as all the same age. These turtles are 15 These gang members are between 14 and 17. So I saw them as fighting equals, and I have no problem with it. And you know what? Again, yes, I'm not going under the guise of imaginary children, but my sister, who is conservative to a fault and wouldn't let her kids read Harry Potter because it might lead them down a road to witchcraft, (laughs) had no problem letting her kids watch this when they were four. So I don't see this. I prefer a tone that can hit multiple audiences than being a tigger movie okay well then let me ask you this do you think this fighting is good
2: yes damn yes i mean i think it's terrible (laughs) i can't see what's
3: going on and it's i'm shocked that these actors in these suits are able to do flips and roundhouse kicks i am impressed by that
1: Yeah, the way these guys move is damn impressive, and then you take into account that they're in this giant 20-pound foam rubber suit. It's doubly impressive. I think that the action in this is, I mean, no, it is no Bruce Lee. It is no Jackie Chan, but it is heads and above anything I'd seen people in suits do by this point. And to this day, probably the best I'll ever see people in suits do because not too long after this, they just went to CGI. It's certainly they could kick Shaq's ass and steal. (laughs) Yes, I think the action in this works. I could see more because I watched the Blu-ray where the brightness was turned way up, but I think that they put their best guys in the turtle suits. I never feel like the Foot Clan, not even Shredder, has anyone that can oppose them. They're so good. They're just overwhelmed in numbers, but never in skill. And it's always balanced. Michelangelo's always there making a joke. They have the little nunchuck-off moment where it's kind of like out of Indiana Jones with the swordsman, and it ends with Michelangelo spinning it on the tip of his finger and things. There's always the lighthearted element to this that I don't like so much, but I understand
3: who it's aimed at. Here's the thing When they're using their weapons Not great action Because they can't actually use them They can't actually Hurt someone with those weapons They wouldn't allow that But when they're doing You know Martial arts And kicking and punching I'm, I am actually pretty impressed Even when they do that Like rolling move You know I don't know if that's like One weird one piece f- suit That got <laughs> them to roll Or the actors Actually got in that formation But there's some You know I, Again Relatively impressive stuff yes. here. This is not Jackie Chan This is not Bruce Lee But for guys in foam suits I'm impressed
2: You and I are seeing the same movie, Jacob. I like the tumbling thing. I think those moments are few and far between, and if they are happening, I can't see them. I Again, I really feel like the movie has been given extreme disservice by turning off the lights.
1: I do feel that the Turtles are a little bit robbed, though, because they get their final showdown against Shredder, and they do exactly what all martial artists should do, attack one at a time, <laughs> but then... Eventually they try to attack together. Shredder kicks all their asses. This is Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. They need Splinter to come save
2: them.
3: Yeah. Here is the problem. The whole time they've been told by their father that they need to work together, that they need to work as a team. And when they put their minds together, they could accomplish great things like creating Ghost Force Yoda in the, in the country farm. You know, like they have almost magical power. So you're waiting for that moment like where they team up together to defeat shredder but nope splinter comes in and does it well
2: I, in some ways it puts them in their place they still have a lot to learn i do feel like it makes splinter seem important i'm kind of surprised because when splinter started this movie he's saying one day i may not be here i thought he was going to die i literally thought that this was going to be a maturation story that these turtles would grieve over their father and come back kicking and that's how they would be defined as men but i guess they're going to remain teenage throughout this series. They're they're not going to have that moment where they leave Splinter behind.
3: You know, 30 years of comics and they're still teenagers. Yeah,
1: post-pubescent mutant Ninja Turtles doesn't quite
2: have the same ring to it. <laughs> it could just be mutant turtles. I, I think that, you know, there was some talk about doing that for this new Bay movie, but no. Hey, there's rumors they may not
1: be teenagers for long in the Bay movie and that for the bulk of the film, they might be in their 20s. That doesn't make
2: me want to see it anymore, but I think it's an interesting <laughs> choice. But I really think that it had to be Splinter to win this battle because they set that up with the flashback. That when he was a little rat, he slashed Shredder's face because he killed his master. He's got to finish the job here. I We didn't know it because we didn't spend very much time with Splinter, but it really was Splinter's story arc to deal with Shredder. You
3: know what? When I saw this as a kid, because I couldn't... Spend 600 bucks to get the original number one Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. I didn't find trade paperbacks anywhere. I was so upset over this origin story. I'm like, no, Splinter isn't a rat. He was the ninja master, but he last touched a rat. And that's why he turns into like Because that was the cartoon origin. They actually go with the comic book origin here. But I remember at 13 being so upset that I thought they changed the origin. I I guess that was a sign that I would be a geek later on in life.
1: (laughs) Well... Here's the interesting thing about that origin from issue number one. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles was not intended to be a comic series. It was a one-off comic. It was the last money they had. And it had a very similar origin story. And Splinter says, you must avenge my master. I'm too old. You now are ready. Four of you go kill Shredder. And they do. Issue one, they kill Shredder. Dead. So that according to the creators is good enough to close splinter's arc is that he trained those who avenged his master uh, they also made shredder much younger it was the younger brother of the murderer versus the murderer himself but i mean they go with that here It does say that the Turtles have much to learn, but it also means the Turtles have nothing to do in this climax.
3: Yeah, you know, I I get what you're saying, Stuart, that this origin story, as they present it, it is splinter's role to get vengeance here i i don't right. know if that's satisfying being called teenage mutant ninja turtles and being told that if they put their mind together they could accomplish anything and then splinter takes over and completes his art it's not as satisfying I, maybe it makes more sense who knows in this story of crazy mutated animals but it's not as satisfying for me
2: it, maybe they needed that rhinoceros or the brain in the tv set in the <laughs> guy's tummy or whatever it what is. yeah i feel like yeah maybe you give them a different villain to fight but for this one because of the way that this origin story played to me it was not a problem at all that splinter got the last actually he didn't get the last one in because casey got the last crunch in but splinter gave him the dishonorable death by getting him off the roof
1: yeah they really should have had a great showcase fight against tatsu because tatsu he seems more badass than shredder we
2: haven't talked about him he's shredders like right hand man oh yeah there you go yeah what happened to him i don't even remember what happened to him
3: casey jones hit him really hard with a golf club and he went flying and that's the last we saw of him oh that's right
2: okay
1: but he is beating up his students in the original cut he killed one of their students, and this, even the studio is like, uh, a little too far, so they added some voiceover, oh, he, he's, he's gonna be okay, but he, the scene where he beats up that hand person, he was supposed to kill them, he was really bad, that actor, I've seen him in a handful of things, I re- looked him up, I mean, he has a familiar face, I think I know him most from Demolition Man, and I think that uh, if they had taken him out in a big fight, a showcase battle but then needed help with Shredder, I could go with that. But the way it is here, they get some good action, they take out a whole lot of feet, but it's just not as triumphant as I would want in a movie entitled Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. I thought it was an interesting choice that Casey Jones killed Shredder. (laughs) I'll just say, I was for it, but, I mean, the casual way, oops, crush, I thought that was the one moment of violence in this movie that made me go,
3: oh they went there. Yeah, because we are supposed to take it that he killed Shredder, right? Like He is compacted, he is crushed in this garbage truck. I don't know if I got that when I was 13. Maybe I thought just his helmet got smashed, but I watch this now. I'm like, he definitely just crushed him. That's like a violent death. Yeah, and the way Shredder
1: falls off the roof is accidental. Uh, Splinter uses a quick nunchuck move to hang him off the roof, but he's dangling there. And I get the impression that after a very long lecture, (laughs) Splinter would have pulled Shredder back up and not let him die.
3: Yes, he would have honked his nose like Mr. Miyagi and called the cops.
1: Yeah, but Shredder don't want to hear no more of the Splinter jibber jabber. So he throws a weapon. So just in self-defense, Splinter lets him fall. Now, if Splinter let him fall to his death, I could go with that. He caused his own death by throwing that weapon. Here, he landed safely in a garbage truck. (laughs) Could have left with a broken bone or two, but we see his helmet crushed, thus meaning his skull, presumably. I didn't get that when I was 15 either, Jacob. This time, he did. I could understand the toy company not wanting to make the toy shredder-killing truck.
3: You you don't want the crushable helmet shredder toy? (laughs) Okay, last question before we wrap it up here.
2: Splinter says he's always like Cowabunga. Did they say it first, or did Bart
3: Simpson say it first? (laughs) Well, the cartoon was 87, which beats the Simpsons, I believe. Simpsons was what, 89, 90? Well, yes. But there was the Tracy Ullman shorts. I don't know if Bart ever said, I have a bootleg of those shorts. I'd have to sit down and watch them.
1: Well, it dates back to the 50s. So, and I mean, beatnik culture. No, no,
2: I'm not saying who originated the word. I'm just saying who was the first surly kid to use cowabunga. Was it a teenage turtle or was it Bart Simpson? I guess that will remain an open discussion. I look
1: to our listeners to tell us in the forums and have a back and forth to see how far back we can date Cowabunga. But I'm probably thinking that it could be a wild coincidence if it's in the Ullman shorts because, yeah, the Turtles were doing it in 87, so.
3: Yeah, I don't know if a lot of seven-year-olds were watching Tracy Ullman, so (laughs) I'm guessing Turtles is what got kids saying Cowabunga.
1: Yeah, I think you're right. Maybe Bart Simpson says it because he's a Turtles fan.
3: Could be. He does like it when Splinter makes a funny. (laughs) Uh. Now, there is a
1: slight alternate ending for this movie that I saw on the German DVD, fortunately in English. (laughs) There's the last scene where Danny and April are telling Charles about all this. And he says the entire story is too preposterous, even for a comic book, let alone a news story.
3: Uh Uh-huh. Wink, wink, yeah. It's as funny as any other joke in this film.
1: Well, on that note, Jacob Stewart, is Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles bodacious or bogus? Jacob,
3: look, we all said we got our special criteria here. Whether you have imaginary children or or mine is the Happy Meal criteria. Like, I I, and I I do see what you're saying, Stuart. I'm approaching it that way too. You like, if I have to sit down with my kids or if I'm babysitting and and this is what's on TV and they want to watch, does this hold my attention or am I totally bored and off on Facebook on my iPhone or something? You know what? This I was surprised. This first film coming back to it, I don't think I've seen it since I was 13. It held my attention. I was. Do I dare say entertain? Now, no, you know, I'm not entertained by, like, the way I am with a good film. But, you know, watching this as a kid's film, it held my attention. Like I said, that whole country scene, I liked all the development going on there with the different characters. You know, it, as a Happy Meal toy, it's a pretty good toy. It's not perfect. It's, you know, it, I do think it's all over the place with the violence, with with how dark... At, literally dark the film is which i actually liked you know you might be concerned with some children but i think overall this film does hold up it's you know if you haven't seen it since it came out way long time ago when you're in elementary school junior high high school and you kind of just remember watching it and you're not sure if you might enjoy it or not i'd say go back and check it out it's worth it it's i recommend it's i don't know if it's bodacious but it's a recommend stewart Bossa Nova!
2: No, this is not even <laughs> Chevy Nova. No, this is pretty much a junkie 80s kids movie, and like many of them, I would never go back to watch Short Circuit, Gary and the Hendersons. I see one of the screenwriters worked on Small Wonder. It's about that good. Honestly, my kids were bored. There's nothing here that they can't get in Mighty Morphin or a hundred other entertainments. I'm disappointed as a story. Of course, that's how I'm going to judge it. This was a story about Raphael and how he was going to deal with his anger. I don't know how that resolved. This is a story about how you shouldn't join a gang. I'm not sure how that message really is sent home by Casey Jones, of all people. I just ultimately feel like these are colorful characters, and I really do like the Jim Henson work. I think that they can get better, but as an introduction, all it tells me is who they are. It doesn't tell me why I should think of them as heroes. So, no, not recommend.
1: And I'm not going to pretend that we are commonsensemedia.org and going to say what is and isn't appropriate for kids. I'm not going to say this is too violent for kids or not. What I'm going to say is I could see this really enrapturing a adolescent or barely pre-adolescent boy who likes action films, likes some jokes, and wants to see a funny film. I, like I said, when I was 15, a bit older than the age I would think this would be targeted at, I really connected to Raphael. And yeah, his angst is resolved through a coma, but (laughs) not the best way to do it.
2: (laughs) If you're really angry, you fall through a glass ceiling.
1: But when you wake up, you'll be really glad you did.
2: <laughs> Kids, don't listen to the
1: man. <laughs> I think that a lot of more of it came from Danny's speeches with Casey Jones and Splinter about why not to join a gang. But here's the thing. I've watched this movie quite a bit when it came out in 90 on video. Watched it several times, like in the background while playing video games and other stuff. Then I didn't see it for... 22 years. I watched it last year thinking, ah, Stuart will never do a Mutant Ninja Turtles retrospective. And I just watched the first one, and I'm like, not as good as I remembered. But then watching it this time and really paying full attention and equating it for what it is. It's not great, but it is a completely passable movie aided by some amazing animatronics. I mean, truthfully, state-of-the-art, I can't imagine CGI that would look much better than what Jim Henson pulled off in real time back then for the Turtles. I still think Shredder looks like a reject from a bankrupt showbiz pizza parlor but the turtles themselves they can move they can kick butt the stories there the jokes none are laugh out loud but the characters keep me engaged so yeah it's not going to be a bright green arrow but it'll be kind of the turtle muted green arrow from me i'll give this a recommend i think that it it holds up better than i thought it would But I'm not sure how much I'll feel that about the rest of this series, given... Oh, you're kidding me. It doesn't get better? I'm thinking it gets worse, because... (laughs) Can it? (laughs) I mean, I mentioned the studio... The toy companies, they all reacted negatively to this one. And even though they only had one year to make the next one, they took all of that into account to the next one. So I have a feeling I've made the argument that these are not kids' movies. And I stand by it for this one. I'd say a teen movie, and we've reviewed tons of those. But Maybe a tween. Yeah, tween movie. But the next one, yeah, I have a feeling we're going to be in some kid territory for the next two movies until we get out of this original trilogy territory.
2: till we get to the cartoon?
1: Yeah. <laughs> believe me, believe me, the cartoon is going to be far more adult than Turtles in Time, it going off memory.
3: Are they going to have Partners in Crime singing the theme song? I, I don't even remember who Partners in Crime was. I Did they beat Will Smith to the trend of, like, doing a song that summarized the whole plot to the movie? <laughs> no,
2: Bobby Brown did it for Ghostbusters, too.
3: Oh, that's right. Well, and, and Ray Parker Jr. did it for the original Ghostbusters, so...
1: And the bus Boys actually had a song that lyricized the Slimer fight.
3: <laughs> to be settled whenever wow. we get the Ghostbusters. Boy,
2: I wish we were doing Ghostbusters right now. This sure as hell ain't Ghostbusters.
1: <laughs> well, Stuart, if you didn't enjoy this movie based off of a comic book and cartoon, what about another cartoon-based movie that we decided to insert into our silver
2: donation drive? Speed Racer. While I'm curious, I mean, I respect the Wachowskis, I know that they don't make kitty films, so this should be quite a pairing. I- I'm more hopeful than I am for The Secret of the Ooze to find out The Secret of Speed Racer and why it was such a box office bomb. Is it because it's bad or because it was just too crazy? Did it melt everyone's mind? I I think it could go either way. And then, of course, for more
1: talking animals, our gold donation Dawn of the Planet of the Apes also opens this Friday. Our review will be out next week for gold-level donors, and we've already done the other seven Apes movies. You can get all of those in one big package with a donation of $25 or more. Only a few weeks left of this donation drive on July 31st. These go into the vault, so if you want to hear the Matrix reviews as well as Speed Racer, and whenever it comes out, Jupiter Ascending, that's a donation of $10 or more by July 31st, or $25 or more, you get all of the Wachowski films, plus Planet of the Apes. So Jacob Stewart, thank you for joining me here in the sewer, and until next week, cowabunga, dude!
0: first battle, Master Splinter. They were many, but we kicked... We fought well. I suggest we all meditate now on the events of this evening. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Now Playing Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Retrospective Series. Money cannot buy the honor you have earned tonight. We hope you've enjoyed the show.
1: Will I ever see you guys again? Well, that depends on how
0: fast you stock your pizza. Come back to NowPlayingPodcast.com each week as we review another Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles film. It's going to be quite a party. Well, what do we do now? In the NowPlayingPodcast.com archives, you can find many more reviews on series such as G.I. Joe, Transformers, Tron, Terminator, Star Trek, Spider-Man, The Avengers, and more. Okay, Turtles, let's move out. You can also find individual movie reviews, such as Avatar, Fight Club, Godzilla, Pacific Rim, and more. I knew it, I'm missing all the fun. Find hundreds of movie review podcasts at nowplayingpodcast.com. Yeah, we yeah. find you. I'm sorry, that came across super creepy, okay? Hey! Support from listeners like you help keep Now Playing operating. I must warn you, we do not come cheap. Does it look like money is of any concern to me? You can find a link to donate using PayPal at the bottom of our website, nowplayingpodcast.com. Maybe I should write this down. Now Playing's Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles series is edited by Heat. Bill, Casper, and Arnie. Our domain is the shadow. Stray from its reluctantly, for when you do, you must strike hard and fade away without a trace. Now Playing Credit Narration by Brock. You certainly can turn a phrase, my lord. Now Playing is not affiliated with Mirage Studios, Playmates Toys, New Line Cinema, Imoji Animation Studios, Warner Brothers Pictures, Nickelodeon Movies, or Platinum Dunes Entertainment. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and all of the TMNT universe contains, is the property of Nickelodeon, a subsidiary of Viacom, and no infringement is intended. What does all that mean in American? The opinions expressed on Now Playing are those of the individual host, and may not reflect the opinion of Venganza Media Incorporated. Your mouth may yet bring you much trouble. Shut it. Now playing is a Vinganza Media Production. Copyright 2014. All rights reserved. And no part of this show may be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the written permission of Venganza Media Incorporated. Well, dudes, I'd say that's pretty much a wrap. Yep, Eh. uh, howabunga?
1: Cowabunga! Yeah. yeah, Cowabunga! Awesome! <laughs> None of us can wait to talk yes. turtles. I, it's true. <laughs> we're just sitting here, we're having the conversation. Let's have it on the air so we only have yep. it once. Because I'm, right, I'm recording. Recording. <laughs> recording. This will probably be the fastest call start to recording time ever.
3: Richie's got so much to say.
2: <laughs> Wicked! I don't remember you huffing household chemicals, but okay. Actually,
1: you do remember me huffing household chemicals. <laughs> I
2: do. I wasn't going to bring that up. <laughs> the near-death experience with Freon. Yes. <laughs> calls me and he's like, oh my god, I hopped all this on and I think I'm dying. And I'm like, well, your children will either be able to breathe on the moon or goodbye. I mean, I don't know what to tell you. You
1: wanted to call ambulance. I'm like, no, my mom will be so mad. I'm just wanting to die. I really went to bed not thinking I'd wake up. My yeah, lungs hurt. Uh. <laughs> Seriously, I was 15. What the fuck? Okay. Everybody does stupid <gasps> at 15 Okay, sure When you're 15 time's a good time There's no prep needed <laughs> Actually, I remember which one I rented that day It was <laughs> called Moonstroked yes.
2: The show's already gone off the rails We're 10 minutes in <laughs> It really has I'm so glad that we're doing a children's podcast <laughs>
3: We got drug abuse. <laughs> Poor. Would you like to talk about <laughs> positions or?
2: Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
0: Awesome.
2: Part of the reasons why I hate these
0: kids f-
2: is because they <laughs> killed. Be- yeah, he can bleep me. <laughs> it's because they killed Henson.
0: Righteous.
1: So when the turtles are out, they invade and kidnap
2: Splinter. They invade Splinter. What? No, I, I just sounded kind of invasive. <laughs> no, no, go on. You said they invade, invade, and kidnap Splinter, which makes me think of that porno you're talking about.
3: <laughs> Inside Splinter.
2: That was before
1: the days of porn parodies. Can you imagine the orgy now? That- I'm sure
3: we'll, I'm sure we'll get one
1: for the Bay film. I'm sure you'll do that as an act. Next- oh my god. Teenage Mutant Nympho Turtles.
3: <laughs> it writes itself. I can already imagine the gangbang with April and the turtles.
1: Hose in a half shell.
3: <laughs> oh, you're going for female turtles. Yeah. I, I see what you're, you're going for.
2: This is Arnie's fantasy. Don't me f- with Arnie's fantasy. I
3: can't wait for the lesbian gangbang then with the female turtles in April.
2: <laughs> that makes six of us.
1: <laughs>
2: Excellent! Yeah.
1: Just making Splinter rich, I guess. I don't know. Shredder, maybe just making. I oh, I've been getting them so confused. <laughs> me too. Plus the names of the
2: turtles. My God.
1: Thing. <laughs> maybe just. Give me Free! You got it. He's angry because he's a teenager, and maybe I'm. Taking my pants down on the podcast, but this is what I related. <laughs> I don't to. know what that means. <laughs> what is that? Taking your <laughs> pants yeah, down? I, I agree. I Save under- it for the porno. I'm, <laughs> I'm,
2: I'm, I'm out of here. If you're going there,
1: <laughs> looks like the most homeless Chuck E. Cheese animatronic you've ever seen. <laughs> I mean, it really does look like that freaking panda bear has gone out and needs some new clothes. That was showbiz.
0: Damn.